Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. You said your wife came from a, a family of employees and you came from a family of entrepreneurs. How did you convince her to to give up that security to, to jump all in with? It, it was that uh, was definitely a, a process. How long have you been married? Now we've been married uh, ten and ten and a half okay, years. Okay, nice. So, Congrats. Yeah, thank you. In the beginning, she was very scared and she was hesitant. And doing it together, I think, was the biggest thing that if I was just like, I'm going to go do this, you do your job, she would have been like, no, you're crazy. But mm -hmm. being able to be in, you know, every decision, every helping actually like sand the floors in the restaurant when we were getting it ready and like painting the walls, being part of the whole process, I think gave her a lot more faith in it than if she just was kind of, you know, viewing it from the outside as it was happening and we weren't doing it together. So having your spouse on board is huge if you want to, you know, go out on your own into entrepreneurship. Yeah. And then, I mean, now does she see the, the, like the benefit of it and like oh, for sure. the autonomy yeah. and freedom and all the things that it brings along with it, even though it's hard work and, you know, a lot going on, it's still really rewarding and fulfilling. Yep. A hundred percent. And it also gave us the flexibility to, we homeschool our two kids and my wife gets to take that on hundred percent. She has an extremely flexible schedule so she can do that. She was able to kind of hand things off that she was taking care of so that she could focus more on that. And the, the flexibility that comes along with entrepreneurship after a while is great in the beginning, you know, when you're in the trenches and you are, you know, have your, you're getting your butt kicked every day. It's definitely entrepreneurship is not freedom. People always think I want to work for myself because <laughs> I don't want someone telling me what to do. But a lot of times it's actually worse than having a job because you don't just leave at five o'clock and, you know, turn it off and then you don't have to worry about it for three days. It's constant. You're, you know, up in the middle of the night because you've got a fight at the bar or you've got somebody that the heater stopped working at one of your Airbnbs at three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, there's a lot of issues that come with that for sure. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. What? So then if you were say you were dropped off in the middle of, you know, Dayton, Ohio, and you had to figure out the fastest way to like start making some money and start building a business, what do you think you would you would do with no resources? Yeah, like yeah, maybe you had like you know a hundred bucks to pay for a, a night somewhere and some food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's warm out. Um, man, 
that I don't know if you've seen the show Undercover Billionaire. Yeah, that's the premise of it. Um, <laughs> I don't know anything about Dayton, Ohio, other than driving <laughs> through there like ten years ago. But I would, I would probably go and find someone that needs a salesperson, and I would try mm. start trying to sell something immediately. If I if I started my entire career over again, I think I would have started as a realtor um, mm. just because there's a lot of upside in being a realtor. And I really believe in the the fact that you have to have income before you start investing. And I think that a uh, realtor is a really great solution for that. So I, I would probably find someone that needed something done if I needed to like make money immediately and I would talk to as many people as I possibly could um, to try and figure out how I could, you know, sell something to yeah. someone that needs something. And I don't really know what that would look like, but I would talk to many as many people as possible. Is the only that's the only way that you make any money in life, anyways. The more that's one thing we tell our students is right when you start investing in real estate, everyone you know, talk to them that you're investing in real estate now, and you'll be surprised how many deals come to you. Mm. Hmm. Just from sources you would never imagine just because you mentioned to people that you're in real estate now and that you're looking for investments. And it could come from your your aunt's hairdresser. You know, you have no idea. It could come from anywhere. So, yeah, talk to as many people as possible is what I would do. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great message, too. I mean, I think a lot of people, they start to get stagnant. And it's this idea of, well, who have you talked to lately or who like it's, it's again, it's like marketing, right? It's you, you put yourself out there and mm -hmm. even it's not like you're trying to sell anybody. You're just raising the awareness that you're out there, that you're doing something that, you know, you're working towards something. And yeah, you'd be surprised where, you know, business comes from. That's why I think it's just so important to, to be posting on social media constantly because, you know, you've built a network, especially like on LinkedIn. It's like you built a network of, of all these different people and you never know who in that network might see what you're doing and being like, oh, you know what? I, I need that. And so, right. yep. yeah, it's, it's really important. When did you get into coaching and, and doing that kind of stuff? That kind of came about naturally from people seeing what we were doing in specifically in the Airbnb world and people that I know or people that our acquaintances that weren't necessarily friends reaching out and asking for advice and realizing, you know, like I said earlier, I believe in systems. And if you build out all your systems, it's super easy to teach somebody how to do something because you already have all the systems in place. Um, and so that just kind of came about naturally. And actually advertising that we're doing that probably in the last four months is when that really started to take off. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, Ben, you're you're a big systems guy. I love systems. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. And uh, actually, I had a question for you too. Um, I guess, so my, my wife and I have a property we purchased a few years ago and moved into to fix up. It's like a brick ranch and um, we fixed it up up the upstairs. And so that then we moved out of it and we rented to my mother-in-law. She basically pays the cost of the mortgage. We rent it to her. 
I'm just curious what you what you would do in this situation because I mean I think I know what you would probably do based on <laughs> what you're talking about so far. But uh, we're kind of like, well, you know, I'm not like a property manager really, but we we have fixed up the basement now, and it's basically like a separate basement apartment. It's got a kitchen down there and stuff now, and so we could, you know, the the mortgage is maybe five hundred, six hundred bucks. She pays that. We could probably rent the basement for like eight hundred bucks a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it could be cash cash flow positive in theory if we rented that out. But um, then I'm like, well, then I have to keep doing repairs on that for the next however many years. But then I'm like, well, should I just have a property manager do it? What's your opinion on that? Having a property manager do it, and is that worth it or not? If I'm like, if my options are, I don't want to do anything. I'd rather just sell it, or I would let somebody do it and make a little money over time with a property manager. What do you think is the smarter option? Without knowing much more, <laughs> sure. And there's so, a lot of factors. Gut, my gut. If it was me personally, I would run it out 100, percent right. But if you don't want to do anything and you want to use a property manager, that's going to be problematic. Especially if you said you think market rents around 600 for it. Oh, probably like 800, maybe a thousand. Oh, 800 for, for the okay. Yeah. So for the for the basement, you might be able to find a property manager that would do it because for. Long-term rentals, property management's typically going to fall around 10%, depending on what they're doing. If you mm-hmm. want someone rent collection, setting up handyman, that type of stuff. Yeah. But the problem is they normally have to have a larger scale than one to take it on. That makes sense. Yeah. So you might be able to find someone who is willing to. But if you think about it, if say it was 800 and it was 10%, that's 80 bucks a month. So if they had to put more than a couple hours a week into yeah, it or a month, it's not worth it, it. It, right? It doesn't really make sense for them. And so I, maybe you could see, I don't know your situation. I was going to say maybe mother-in-law could collect mm-hmm. rent and call handymen and stuff like that. I'm sure yeah, there's some creative solution that that's something we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could be a, could be a thing too. I mean, yeah, it depends on, it, yeah, there's a lot of factors too. But then, then I'm like, oh, rental arbitrage. I wonder how many people are looking for a place where they could just pay rent and then they could Airbnb it out themselves. Because oh, we yeah, thought about yeah. Airbnb it, but then I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of lot of work too. But Airbnb <laughs> I have like is, other things I'm trying to do. But you sure, know. yeah, it's a it can be a full time job, especially if you don't automate out your communications and your locks and all that. But you for sure would be able to find someone that would arbitrage it and you could get a little bit more than market rent if you found someone that wanted to do it. You could even go to Facebook Marketplace and throw up on there like uh, apartment available for rent for arbitrage asking X amount per month. And most people Hmm. are going to be like, what's arbitrage? But the people that know will probably hop on it because... Like Mark said, when he had a unit available, he got a ton of emails from people wanting to do arbitrage. Was that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we've, we've had a property now. We bought a home and then we moved, but we thought, you know, we'll never be able to buy a home this close to Denver, like again. So, like, let's not sell it. Let's hold on to it and then, you know, use it as like a rental property and, um, and you know, a, a HELOC and things like that. And so. It's definitely been good. And, you know, with one property, I feel like we use Zillow Property Manager and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all my rents paid through there and, you know, communication and everything's done through the app. And it's been real simple. And and I could see if you had multiple properties, it would start to become a headache of like repairing things and whatever. But so far with the past two years, I felt like 
we get a text message from the tenant like, hey, the light switch broke. And then I'll go over there on a weekend and like replace the light switch or send somebody over to do it. And it's with one property, it seems very manageable and like really low maintenance. 100%. Yeah. And especially if if you are proactive about your properties and you buy nice properties and, you know, it's not someplace that's falling apart, maintenance really should be nominal. Yeah. 100%. Right. Yeah. So what would you recommend? Yeah, go ahead, oh, Ben. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, hey, free coaching call. Th- I appreciate it, Dan. Uh, <laughs> Anytime. I would, yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the arbitrage thing. If I'm looking for someone to do that, what are the downsides for me as a tent or a landlord or the things I should be looking out for in the positives and upsides on my, on my end of things? So I would make sure that the person... This is a tough question for me to answer because people that I come across <laughs> I um, do things in a way that I don't approve of. Yeah, there, There's some coaches out there that sell, you know, like $49 courses. They're like, don't tell the landlord you're doing this. And like, <laughs> like so <laughs> I'm, I always believe that, you know, you need to be a man of your word. You need to make sure that you are doing what you say you're doing. And so transparency is key. So The plus sides I mentioned a couple earlier is that you have weekly cleaning of your unit. Typically, they'll pay for small repairs. Like Mark said earlier, if the light switch is broken, he gets a phone call and he has to send someone over. He goes over on the weekend to fix it. Mm -hmm. If you are in a rental arbitrage situation, that person that is running that unit is acting. Think of like a concierge at a hotel. If you're in a hotel and you had something break, and they couldn't move you to another room, They you would expect it to be fixed right away, right? So right, right. that is how we teach our students that you need to have that taken care of right away, and you don't even bother the landlord with it. If it's below, I, I mean, we've been negotiated up to like 500, but normally we start around 300. If something's under 300, 300 or, under, or under, get it fixed right away and don't even bother the landlord with it. And then send them a note saying, by the way, this broke. We took care of it. Just wanted to keep you updated. And then that kind of builds cool. yeah. right, good rapport saying like, oh, I'm happy I didn't have to deal with that. Thanks for taking care of that, whatever. And for professional cleaning multiple times a week. I don't know if you've ever been to an apartment that's been rented by a tenant for like three, four years. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, things yeah. are filthy. The all the curtains are broken, the laminate flooring's ripped up, there's chips in the walls, it has to be totally repainted, probably refloored. Whereas with rental arbitrage, it always needs to be hotel-like ready. And so everything is always being taken care of very well. There's no leaky faucets. There's the fire alarms aren't, you know, chirping. The there's attention given to the unit constantly throughout the year. Some of our units have an average turnover of three days. So every three days, they're professionally clean top to bottom. And you definitely can't say that about long-term rentals. And the wear and tear, I mean, in people's head, they're like, okay, there's people in and out all the time. It's going to get really beat up. Well, not nearly as much as having a long-term tenant in there. It is, it yeah, it's maintained much better having someone run arbitrage out of it. Downsides, People that are doing arbitrage, sometimes some of them are not experienced and a lot of them fail. That happens. 
and they are savvy with landlord tenant rights, you can get yourself into a position where they're making three grand a month off of having your unit. They're not paying rent and you're stuck in court for six months. Hmm. So I, but that's true with any tenant, you know, as far as specific, unique to the having it be arbitrage, if it's at your, this is just a general example, but So you have transient people, right? And if your mother-in-law is living on the top floor and you rent the bottom floor out to someone long-term, you can, you can vet them, right? You can run their credit check. You can see if they have a criminal history. You can get a feel for them and be like, okay, I feel comfortable with this person being down there. But if you have somebody else running an Airbnb, you don't know who's coming through there. You know, Airbnbs are a notorious place for privacy for there's a bunch of different nefarious things that can go on there because you can get an Airbnb for the night for fairly cheap. And if somebody needs to do some type of, I don't know, drug drop or something, then like you could have not great activity going on below. And we don't really get any bad activity. I'm just saying like when you said, what are the downsides? That's a possible downside. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's really, that's super helpful. I guess the other, in theory, I could also, move my mother-in-law out of there and then actually probably charge more rent for that upstairs and downstairs and then pay for her a nicer place to stay or something too. But anyway. Yeah, you could. And is it made so that you can split it both ways? It's not really designed for that. Like the, the breaker panels like downstairs and the thermostats upstairs and stuff. So it'd be better if it was like somebody, like if I was in a long-term rental, ideally it'd be like maybe a family with like a mother-in-law, like live in area downstairs Mm, kind of thing. That would probably be the more ideal setup or maybe for Airbnb, it might still work, you know, having it split. If you can split it, what I would recommend doing, and we do this with our duplexes is you can make a listing for the first floor make a listing for the second floor, make a listing for both of them combined. And then we use software that creates parent listings. And in those parent listings, if the whole house gets booked, it automatically books out the, you know, blocks out the first floor Mm. and the basement studio or whatever, however it's set up. That way you can maximize your nights booked and you can maximize the amount of dollars coming in. So, yeah. Hmm. That's a good idea. So you, you've obviously been in business for a while and doing multiple kinds of businesses and different kinds of things. What are some things that you would tell us about as far as maximizing um, your business as, as far as, you know, taxes and things like that? Are you, do you have one parent company and then an LLCs underneath or does each thing that you do have its own business entity or, you know, what does that look like as far as some of your structure goes? Right. So we hold seven LLCs and we actually are in the process of having one master company hold our accountant setting it up, but hold all those individually and for better, I don't want to say tax avoidance, but for tax reasons that you can pay less taxes. Um, And something that we started implementing a couple of years ago was using cost segregation studies to really break down, to cut down on our taxes. If you're not familiar with those, I can explain them real quick. Yeah, what is that? Basically, basically you get to accelerate your depreciation on new property purchases down to five years. And so an example would be 
normally it's 27 and a half years and you can hmm. accelerate that this year. It used to be 100% bonus depreciation. Last year, it was 80%. And this year, I think it's going to be down to 60%. I would have to check. But if you bought a property, say, for $200,000, it gives you a tax write-off of about $50,000 in the first year. And that it depends on lot size. It depends on what type of property it is. It depends on what's actually in it, like the what type of cabinets you have, what type of flooring you have, and the square footage, how many windows you have. But that's a pretty general idea of the cost or the tax savings. And if you do that and you do it with multiple properties over the years, you can really, really reduce your tax liability. And then after five years, you can sell that property, 1031 exchange it, do it all again. And so you can just keep rolling those losses forward. Mm. Hmm. Nice. And I am by no means uh, you know, an accountant, but yeah. If you have properties, I would highly recommend looking into that and talking to an accountant about it because they can do a much better job of explaining it than I can. Right. Right. Hmm. And then what about, you know, on one of your, in one of the emails that I got from you, it, you talked about credit card rewards and like some money hacks and things like that. What, what are mm-hmm. some, of, some of those top tips that you have in, in that arena? So credit card rewards are a lot of fun. It's kind of like the icing on the cake of being a business owner and having to spend a lot of money is if you can put it the spend on credit cards and get rewards, it's a great way, especially if you optimize those rewards. So, for example, we pay for the food at our restaurant with our Amex Gold card, right? And so then we get rewards points for every dollar that gets spent there. And then we transfer those to Hilton when there's a good transfer. This is a whole can of worms. I can talk about rewards all day. (laughs) But so normally the ratio for one Hilton point to an Amex point is, is one to two, right? But you can do it in a time when there's a bonus. And so maybe you can get it at one to three or one to four. And so you wait for that opportunity, then you transfer it out and... Then you take those points and you find great availability at a Hilton property that you want to go to and you schedule your vacations around actually when there's great redemption times. And so this is really complicated, but we'll use an example. We just went to Mexico about last January, I think, and it was at the brand new Waldorf down there. And it's like $1,000 a night, right? Redemption points are normally, man, I can't remember the exact, but we found a little window that they opened up where it was like half off of where it, where it normally is. And so a vacation that would normally cost us $15,000 literally cost us for the equivalent of spend like $700. And wow. You, wow. there's websites out there where you can find, you know, what type, what should my redemption be? And what is a really great redemption for this? And there's multiple steps to it. And I can't, it's such a large world. The yeah, yeah. points Because <laughs> I mean, you can start in Amex and then you have 10 travel partners to transfer to. And then yeah. within those, you have to make sure you're redeeming them correctly. And then Chase has its own, you know, partners that you transfer to. And then you have to make sure you redeem those correctly. One that I just found out about, which blew my mind is, Capital One's rewards, you can transfer to Air Canada, and then you can use the Air Canada site to book Delta flights. 
and I always just transferred directly <laughs> oh. to Delta. And I looked at it, and the rewards, like the the flights, were like seventy thousand points that we were looking at. And the blog I was reading said, "No, transfer to to Air Canada, then book your Delta flights on Air Canada." Oh. And it's like twelve thousand points. Wow! So yeah. it's like it's wow. like a fifth <laughs> of the cost. <laughs> And that's what I was saying. It's like a whole can of worms when you start talking about rewards because it's always changing and there's so many different systems out there. And if you really put in the research, you can you can really travel hack. See, this is what we need our virtual cheap. assistant for. We need like the VA <laughs> yeah, who just does the credit card benefit right. reward you, hacks. You, could, you 100% could have a, a full-time person just, you know, looking into that for sure. So do you just like dream in spreadsheets or is it more like a, like a mind map? Like how do you see things when you're thinking about this stuff? For that, I I make Excel sheets to ch- keep track of it okay. all and be like, okay, we have this many gotcha. points here. and Or it's kind of strategic too because we'll say, okay, we want to go to Arizona sometime in the next three months or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then you start thinking like, okay, what – what rewards programs do we have? What's in that area? How can we transfer out? Where can we fly out of? And then that's really when you start kind of digging into it. And I, I'm honestly not an expert on all rewards. And so I do read a lot of blogs on it and I go to a lot of forums and, you know, ask questions because that's the biggest thing I've learned over time is that if someone else has it figured out, other people's knowledge that they're willing to give for free is like the most valuable thing you can find. You don't need to spend, mm-hmm. you know, forever trying to figure everything else out on your own. And that's honestly when business really changed for my wife and I is when we're like, okay, let's find someone that knows, you know, been through this, mm-hmm. knows what they're doing. And, and that is a game changer for sure. Mm, that's really good. That's good. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for being on the show and just chatting with us for this past hour and you know, sharing some of your knowledge and wisdom with us. Um, Absolutely. Ben, what are your takeaways for today's episode? Yeah, um, a couple different things you said, Dan, that really stuck with me. Uh, one thing you said was first get steady, dependable excess income and then invest in real estate. So make sure you have cash flow first. Um, you said that having your spouse on board is critical if you're starting a business. Totally agree with that. Uh, you said the flexibility that comes with entrepreneurship is awesome, but it takes time to get there. And my favorite thing right at the end here was if someone else has it figured out, just ask. You don't have to figure out everything on your own. 100%. You know, we love to leave our audience with an action item, something they can start next week doing to better themselves or their business. If you could give one piece of advice or one action item for them to take, what would that be? Figure out who's done what you want to do and research them. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Hey, Dan, if people want to connect with you and and see the courses that you're into, you know, find stuff that you're you're doing, where's the best place to reach you there? Uh, TheBusinessManDan.com or TheBusinessManDan on Instagram. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you so much for listening to The Friday Habit. Um, And if you go over to TheFridayHabit.com, there you'll find show notes for this episode, as well as our system for helping you spend less time working uh, in your business and more time uh, spent working on your business. So make sure to head over to FridayHabit.com. 
Yeah. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple podcast app. Uh, if you have a question for us, shoot it over to hello at the Friday That's right. Thanks so much for listening. And remember until next time, live every day. Like it's Friday. Friday.